Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. What have you seen or experienced that just truly hurts your soul? You know, Patty, that is such a good question because we are always looking at things, but the the problem is we're not always seeing things as we're looking. We're just so quick to be, you know, scanning. But, you know, when we do take the time to see, many times it's painful because we see things. We really see things. And like you said, it goes to your soul. And then with that comes a responsibility that do I, you know, what do I need to do now that I have truly seen it? And it, it can be really disrupting. And I think a lot of times we avoid that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, today we do want to prepare you um, for our show because it is definitely a dark subject matter and it is in an area of life that is disturbing and sometimes invisible. Well, before we get too far into our show, we want to remind you that you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we truly rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, today we are going to be talking with a gal. Her name is Chung Kim. And I have to tell you, about a year ago, I watched a show that she produced. And it's a story of her life. And uh, it's such a a chilling story that you can't even comprehend and get your mind around that somebody actually is going through this right now and has gone through this. And she talks about being handcuffed to a doorknob for months by a man she originally thought was her boyfriend and then handed over to a middle-aged woman who transferred her to traffickers in Las Vegas, held there with other victims in an abandoned warehouse and forced to work as a teen prostitute, taken back and forth across the country for the purposes of being a prostitute. And it's just her dramatic story. It happened um, in 1995 when she was kidnapped until the day she escaped in 1997. And Chong provides just chilling insight into how organized crime runs its sex trafficking operations in the U.S. with uh, women and children who are being enslaved to satisfy the twisted desires of clients. So we just want to welcome you, Chong Kim, um, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on our show today and to be willing to share, um, like I said, just the horrific things that took place in your life. Thank you so much for having me. It is such an honor. Uh, well, first of all, like I said, Chong, uh, when I watched this movie, uh, it 
it truly has not escaped my mind in, in the last year. And we just want to hug on you today and let you know we can't even imagine the horrors that you've not only experienced, but that you had to witness. Uh, I think it is, it's hard for us to even uh, be able to comprehend the depravity of what has happened to you. And um, just even stating that we are sorry for your pain and suffering is way beyond trite. So just know that you really do inspire others with your extraordinary strength and your story. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, I, I just want to um, ask you some some questions about how you were able to get the story out there. And I know a gentleman wrote a book, and then from that book, you're, you actually produced the movie. So once you... Well, let's go back. Let's go way back and tell us the beginning of your story of where were you when you initially were kidnapped? I was living in Dallas, Texas, and I basically grew up in Oklahoma, in the southern part of Oklahoma. And um, for those who are not familiar with southern Oklahoma and northern Texas, it's kind of like our own little um, town, state, (laughs) Um, and so we don't really consider, as Okies, uh, so to say, we don't really consider going to Dallas, Texas as a different state. To us, Dallas is just like Manhattan to us. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we would go back and forth. And I remember one night, me and my girlfriends, we said, hey, let's go out to a country club and let's go, you know, have a girls' night out. You know, and, and one of the things that... Um, I share with college students today, I was actually at uh, UT Austin, and it was in the evening. And as I was driving around campus, I counted up to 40 students in the about four-block radius that was talking on their cell phones, and I could have hit them. 40 students in a four-block radius. Mm. They didn't stop. Um, unless they saw my car, then they stopped, but they were constantly on the phone. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is why we need to talk about this issue, because I was with a group of girls when I was abducted. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we don't think about when I'm at the boyfriend, one of the things that um, I want to elaborate, I mean, even in today's society, we look at celebrities. We look at the men, and if they have if they're overweight and receiving hairline and their glasses are crooked and a pretty girl says, hey, he abused me, we are quick to jump at that. If the perpetrator mm. has a status, mm-hmm. is a celebrity or of wealth or attribute, we think twice. Why is that? And, and that goes back to my abduction. When I met the boyfriend, he dressed up as a Marine, but he wasn't in the Marine. Mm. But one of the things that we need to start looking at with Army Surplus Store, I mean, people who are in the uh, law enforcement, they know you cannot use these uniforms under unauthorized use. But everybody else doesn't know that. I didn't know that back in 1995. I didn't know that when he was wearing a Marine uniform in that dress suit, 
I didn't know I had to count the ranks. I didn't know I had to look at the name tag. I didn't know I had to, you know, look at his stars and stripes. I had no idea what that meant. And so, you know, and, and this is what needs to be talked about. We need to not just share about, you know, why kids get trafficked. We need to go on the preventive side. We need to say, we need to look back and see what could have been done. And not so much of, um, of going backwards, but what we can do to learn from that so we can prevent other girls from mm-hmm. being trafficked in that sense. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's interesting. My, my daughter's actually, she knew we were going to be interviewing you today. She's in college. And um, she said, I would like to ask her why they were all in the military. But um, what you're saying is be aware that many times they're dressed as if they are because it's yeah. somebody that we respect. And we don't even question that. We're not even thinking, exactly. considering that they're wearing fake uniforms exactly. um to exactly. build that trust hmm. exactly and one of the things that um since i've been speaking out more and more in different colleges one of the things i give to the college students is for them to look up the local jag office in case of an emergency so if they see a guy walking around on campus whether he's wearing a camo or a dress suit you know do not approach him now that we have cell phones, we can take pictures, send it to Jag, and say, is this legitimate? There's just something funny about this guy. Hanging around on campus, he's not at a booth. He's talking to a group of girls, hitting on us. So I want to know, is he legit? Is he legitimately here to promote or be a recruiter? Mm-hmm. If he's well, not. I like, I like what you're saying because you're, you're basically telling us to ask different questions. Um, and going back and, and going, why, why are we so trusting? Um, and why aren't we asking more questions and being more inquisitive? And it's challenging not only us, but the, you know, the, the, the college age students that, like you said, I, you know, I find myself even walking, um, you know, when you're at shopping malls, whatever, and you're on your cell phone. And not yes, not yes. being aware of your environment and your surroundings, and so this is a good reminder to us of all ages, but especially the younger ones because you are you're so tethered to that phone, and when you do, you're you're oblivious to really what is happening around you, which makes you much more vulnerable. And I, these conversations do have to happen. We need to be asking different questions too. Well, John, exactly. when you said when you said they were all on their phone. Um, and you passed, you know, like 40 different people. Were you aware that you were being taken at that, that point? Like what could have happened had they been aware? Anything could happen. Basically, I could, you know, I saw this uh, one particular student. She was walking by herself. She was constantly on her phone. And I could literally hear her conversation. So if I were a trafficker, All I had to do is drive slowly, especially around campus, you drive slowly. You can get just five seconds of a conversation and already knows the girl is vulnerable. I hear you. Because she could be on the phone and says, oh, my gosh, my mom was freaking out because I didn't call her. You know, and I got all these final exams. I mean, that's a generic. But for me, being a woman, I can literally pull down my window and say, do you need a ride to campus? Because I'm on the way there. She doesn't know me. 
Yeah. But I guarantee you, because I'm a woman and I look vulnerable to her, she's going to think, okay, she's a short Asian woman. What could she do to me? Right. And right. she'll say, you know, I'm going to this dormitory and I'll say, you know what? I'm headed there. I got to teach a class. I'm a, I'm a new speaker. I could have uh, played that off and she would have gotten in my car and guess what? She would have disappeared. Hmm. It's, One of it's, the things I have... Go ahead. No, go ahead. We, we just have about 30 seconds, Chong, before we have to take a commercial okay. break. The one thing I want to emphasize to anyone, whether they're college, high school, is you got a cell phone and you're out and about, do FaceTime. Do not talk on the phone. Do FaceTime if you're going to have a conversation. Because in case you are being attacked, you got the, uh, the person you're doing FaceTime with, they can see the perp. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back with more conversation with Chong Kim. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. 
welcome back. We are chatting with Chong Kim as she shares her intense story of how organized crime runs its sex trafficking operations in the U.S. And women and children all across the United States and beyond are being enslaved to satisfy the twisted desires of clients. So welcome back. And we were right in the middle of talking about a couple things to be aware of. Um, girls, especially on the college campuses, are walking along, talking on their cell phones, and that's easy for um, a trafficker to pick up on conversations. And like you said, Chong, just to um, be vulnerable. I know my own girls, you, you think that someone's going to wear a sign or they're going to have a certain look. <laughs> says, I'm a horrible person, and it's not so much. And since it's a billion-dollar industry, there's so many layers to it, you do have a lot of females that are working in this industry to befriend, and I guess they call it grooming, um, the, the gal that they're kidnapping to move them into the next layer of the sex trafficking. So uh, great tips. And like Lisa, you were saying, just changing the way that we're looking at uh, things and also asking the right questions. Well, you were actually 19 when you were kidnapped, but you looked very young. And um, you were saying on commercial break that – Many of the gals are in college. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize, because we haven't collected data or stats, is that there are many college girls. There are high vulnerability for a trafficking ring. And because of that, when we're not looking at someplace, in a trafficker's mind, they think, okay, they're not looking at these college girls. So we're going to go after them. You see flyers. You see parties. You see house parties. You see joining a club. You, I mean, there's tons of them. I've been on campus multiple times to see what's on the bulletin. I mean, even a trafficker can say, looking for a tutor, come to my house. And then you realize that student's not there anymore. Mm. One of the misconceptions that a lot of college girls think is, I'm 18. They wouldn't want me because I'm not a minor. It's not so much of you being a minor. It's more so of what the traffickers' intentions are. I mean, take, for example, Judy Garland was actually in her mid-20s when she played Wizard of Oz. But yet she played a teenage girl. I was 19 when I was abducted. But I was forced to play a 14-year-old Japanese girl. The main focus is if the trafficker sees a fit, for you in his demise, then that's all that matters. Age is literally nothing but a number to that trafficker. Because when they're selling you, they're telling the customers uh, that you're 13, 14, 16. And as long as you look that part, that's all that matters to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And that's why I think it's so important that we need to start creating a dialogue. We need to start grouping together as a group of girls. And uh, when I was at the UT campus, you know, one of the things that um, we, we had talked about during the commercial, if I was a perpetrator and I saw one girl, I was literally uh, walking side by next to me while I was driving slow. She didn't think anything of it. I don't know if she noticed me because if she did, she would have walked faster but she didn't. 
And because everyone drives pretty slow around campus anyway, with me being a woman, all I had to do is roll down my window and say, hey, do you need a ride? I'm on my way to so-and-so. And if she says, oh, I'm going to fill up Ship Hall or something like that, then I would say, you know what? That's exactly what I'm speaking at. She doesn't know me, but I guarantee you if I did that, she would have gotten in my car as soon as I was taking her to the same place that I was going. Mm-hmm. And then she would have been gone just like that. And that's why I emphasize with college students today, take advantage of FaceTime. If you're doing FaceTime, I guarantee you the person you're talking to can also see who's following behind you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good point. That's a great tip. Well, Chong, you, like I said, you were 19, and this yeah. guy was posing as a military gentleman that ended up kidnapping you. You were then yeah. um, moved to a, another gal. Like I said, there's so many layers in this industry, and then you were finally brought to a warehouse um, at this point, what, what are you thinking and what are you going through and what took place once you hit this warehouse? My first thought was I didn't believe it happened here. I literally thought they had obviously shipped me to a different country. And because I was very sheltered growing up, I didn't know about geographical maps. I didn't know anything about boats and trains. I mean, everything is that me and my family did, we did by car. So I literally, even at 19, I literally thought I could be in a different country by car because I could not believe in a land of the free how there can be this type of atrocity in our own soil. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing was it was denial. And I said, I need to get back to America. I need someone to help me. So I'm begging on the wall, asking for help, not realizing we were on a reservation. And I'm not saying that the reservation, uh, the chief knew about this. I'm just saying that a lot of times in organized crime, they will use reservations to rent a land to do the organized crime. Mm-hmm. And I shared this with an actress that's also in the movie. Um, she plays the nurse, and she and I have talked about banding together and raising awareness and raising our voice to the natives and saying, look, we need to stop this. We cannot be contributors of this trafficking ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Bring- well- go ahead. No, Lise, go ahead. I, I have 5,000 questions. So well, you go- I, and I do, too. I, I, I <laughs> raise you, like, to 6,000 questions. Um, <laughs> Chong, you know, it, it is really interesting because, you know, so many things you're saying, is, it's one of those things you're just going, I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um, just so appreciate that you're using your voice to create that awareness because that is a place where we start. And if people will take the time to to listen and to hear these stories and to just engage, like you said, and then I, I, I think when you sit here and you hear these stories, it does. It totally like stirs your soul where it's like somebody mm-hmm. needs to do something about that. And you're like, well, maybe, you know, I am someone. And, but then you then you go, what could I do as we're sitting here in our comfortable homes, whatever? And it seems like you said a land far, far away that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's right here in our soil. And I think that one of the first things is like what you're doing is you're um, kind of debunking the myth that it happens somewhere over there. This mm-hmm. is literally happening in our communities 
whether we choose to see it or not or choose to acknowledge it or not. So where, what, as you continue with your story, um, how, I don't even know what question, Patty, you can second with your, one of your 5,000 questions here. Cause I'm still <laughs> just like, you're in awe. How do you, how did, once you're realizing this and you're totally disrupted, how do you, how do you survive? I actually went through what's called a disassociation. A lot of times victims of extreme sexual abuse or rape or prostitution, basically forced prostitution and also trafficking fall into this category. It's called disassociation, borderline personality disassociation. Because in a, in a scientific um uh, theories, they have said that a lot of times when kids or people go through trauma, a lot of times our mentality cannot take all of that at once. That our psyche has to be split. And so when I was going through this, I will share this much. Um, and I was talking to a good friend of mine. We were at a, uh, a burger joint and he asked me, he said, he said, how did God play into this? And I said, you know, during that time, and I don't mean to be preaching, but I want to share this with everyone. When I was in the midst of watching girls being raped, sodomized, beaten right in front of me at the warehouse over and over, I said to myself, you know, if I die, I don't want to be with you, God. I want you to just leave my soul alone. I don't want to have anything to do with you because I was angry. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think that in a nation, especially if we, those who do believe in God, that we need to realize victims are angry and that's okay. But we need to show them grace and love in order for them to bounce back from that bitter and anger. And so what happened was, um, I remember leaning up against the wall and it was hot outside, but I felt cold on the inside, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I could hear the trafficker just barking orders, but then it started to fade. And I leaned down to the ground, and I was holding my knees, and I just bawled. Because I knew deep down inside, I didn't mean what I said, but I felt frustrated. I was angry. Next thing I knew, and I kid you not, I felt a breeze. It's like someone would open the door and you can feel that breeze coming in the house. It's that same breeze. When I looked up, I saw a blue butterfly. I haven't seen anything beautiful in months, in days, in weeks. Now, all I saw was a big, you know, old abandoned warehouse, which each unit smelled like fungus to urine to blood and sweat and everything else I probably don't know how to name. And then I see this blue butterfly, and I'm like a kid again. And in that one small moment, I was laughing like I was five years old again, just being, you know, admiring nature. And it landed on my finger, and I saw the wings just slowly go back and forth, and I was touching the wings, and I heard a whisper that says, everything will be okay. Mm. In my comprehension, and this is just mine alone, I believe in my heart of heart that God came to me that day and said, 
if you need to disassociate, if you need to do what you have to do to survive, then I will let that be. Mm. That's how I interpret it. Because you couldn't, every time I saw a girl trying to run away, she was shot. Every time I saw another girl that tried to run away, she was raped and sodomized. John, I'm so sorry. We have to interrupt. We have to take a commercial break. I love that you're leaving on a place of beauty in the midst of darkness. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is Buzz Local Radio. We had the three topics here, and we just added a fourth because we started talking about hot dogs. He's in a band. We both had guitars. I went over to his house Christmas Day that day. We had to start a band. And uh, I think we wrote four or five songs that afternoon. And Cannibalistic Fish was one of them. Cannibalistic Fish. I I couldn't do the dreads. My mom would not let me wear my pants backwards to school either. That was wiggity, 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 whack. (laughs) Buzz Local Radio. Available for free download on toginet.com. That's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We are talking with Chong Kim today and just her horrific story about being kidnapped and trafficked uh, for a few years. And... Um, unfortunately we had to break you off and go into a commercial break and you, that was such a beautiful story and the imagery of how God brought this butterfly and the whisper that we just, in whatever situation we're in, that God is always there for us and will never abandon us. And, um, Chong, I had to laugh because that was such a beautiful story. And then we went right into girls just want to have fun song. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, what a, what a song getting that on. Okay. But um, I have to ask you, um, just talking about that we can't fathom that this is actually going on, like you said, in our, on our soil here. And um, there's a story that took place about four or five months ago. And um, I was sitting there actually at um, this friend's house um, in their community jacuzzi area. And they were talking about how someone had... Um, the doorbell was ringing and they went to answer the door and there was a gal that um, was standing there without any of her clothes on and she had blood all over her. So they called the police. The police came and said, 
this is something that she does. She's a meth addict. You know, we've got her. And they're telling me the story, and I immediately thought about your story in the movie, and I wanted to know if this is truly what took place, um, that you were actually in a home where a guy um, was there that had paid for you, and you did something, put yourself in a situation where you caused a lot of blood to take place, and hurt him, and ran out of the house, went next door where two women were sitting there having lemonade, and you're screaming, you're, you know, you're, we're cheering you on in the audience thinking, yes, finally, this is her escape. And yet um, uh, the guy that had brought you there to the house ran after you and tackled you down and basically said the same thing. You know, she's she's not, mm-hmm. a, you know, not quite there. We've got it taken care of. She does this all the time. And they never called the police or anything. So did this really take place? Not exactly as the way the film portrayed. Uh And one of the things I want to let people know, um, this is a feature film, so it's not going to be 100% accurate. They have creative licensing, and then there are also some stipulations, like, for example, when you saw kittens. We didn't have kittens, but we were assigned to a little girl. And the screenwriter said, there's no way I can write about kids being abused right in front of you. So that's mm-hmm. why they substituted that with little kids. Mm-hmm. The, the real synopsis, because it would take literally about six hours to tell the actual story in a film setting, I was actually still at the abandoned house where I was handcuffed to a doorknob. And we had to, I don't remember why we had to leave, but I remember... The recruiter at this time, he said, if you scream or if you run away, he said, you're going to face the consequences. And at that time, I was actually in northern Oklahoma. And at that time, I didn't know where I was. I just, I later found out I was in northern Oklahoma. Small little town. And as soon as the handcuffs came off, I bolted out the door. I saw a shopping mall. I went in. And I didn't realize, because I was handcuffed to a doorknob, I hadn't ate, I hadn't used the bathroom, I hadn't showered. I mean, I was basically stuck to a doorknob for probably a couple of weeks, if Mm -hmm. not days. So I was fuming with body odor, urine, and vomit. And so to the average person, they're looking at me thinking, oh my gosh, who is this girl? And she looked crazy. And I would run up to, I remember running up to a lady who her kids were next to her, and I said, please help me. He's going to kill me. And she literally backed away. Mm. And, and the security guy came out and told me not to touch the people. And then the, the recruiter walked in with a Marine outfit, mm. grabbed me by the hair, and dragged me out the door in public. And no one did anything. No one called 911. No one said, okay, this doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. Even if she is a crazy person, you wouldn't drag a woman by her hair. You don't handle people like that. You know, let's say, you know, let's play devil's advocate. Let's say I ran away from a state hospital. Mm -hmm. You still don't treat someone like that. You know what I mean? Yes. And And yet, Mm. Yeah, no one called the police. And when he was dragging me out, I saw the security guy salute to the recruiter. And at that moment, 
and this is so important for first responders, when a woman or a child is rejected by any authority figure, whether fake, real, or sincere, or not sincere, their mindset has already said, I'm not a victim. Mm-hmm. I'm a nobody. So when first responders who do care does the rescue, be open-minded that they're not going to open up the next time when they see you, or when we see paramedics, or when we see police officers, when we see firefighters, or even people through the church that says, I want to help. And this is what I tell anyone that is not in law enforcement, call 911 regardless. And if you, and now that we have this technology again with the phone, I mean, people always say we're, we're, we've become so desensitized in our digital world. But at the same time, we can also use our phone for good. Mm-hmm. Videotape what's going on. Take pictures. Take the badge name of this so-called guy who calls himself a cop. Find out about him. You know, go through your parish or go through, you know, when you're friends to our attorney and say, this is what I've witnessed. Can you look into this guy? You know, do your own investigation. Don't just stand there and say, okay, well, since that guy says he's a cop and he looks like a cop, then I guess he's handling her the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where we need to also educate the community on. I don't ever want anyone to try to intervene on their own or be a um, vigilante. It is too dangerous. Go call 911 if you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Wow, those are great tips on just giving because you're right so many times we see something and if you're wearing a uniform you you don't ask questions and it's okay to ask questions and change the way that you're thinking and do something about it well there there's another uh, just in finding and discovering some of the horrific things that do take place in trafficking or also realizing that when the gals get pregnant many times um, they do take the babies and they sell them in the black market and um, try to get them adopted because that is also a money-making area. In yeah. the film, was that another part of the creative license? You actually befriend this gal who does get pregnant. Um, did that take place? And I have to ask you, or do you stay in contact with any of these girls? Or, I mean, I guess, how would you? <laughs> How did you, you know, so. The girl that was actually pregnant in the film was actually a seven-year-old girl. We made her to be a teenager. But it was actually me that was pregnant. Mm. We had to switch the role. I placed my child for adoption. But here's the thing that scared me the most. Not so much as the black market adoption. Um, when I bring to up to be a madam, and I want to clarify to those who don't or are not um, familiar with this, but a lot of times when victims are involved in trafficking, many times our only choices is to join them, death, or prison. And so whatever was the lesser of two evils at that time, I decided to join them, but it was not the intent to harm or to exploit. 
people, it was basically a stepping ladder for me in order to get out. What I didn't realize at that time when I ranked up, that's when I started learning about the pregnancy. What happened was when the girls were pregnant, they would actually hire, I don't know, I do know he was a licensed doctor. That much I didn't know. That he would sign documents saying the babies were aborted. But guess what? The babies were not aborted. When the babies are undocumented, and in case the SWAT team were to do an investigation, they would find these load of papers saying babies were aborted and they're not going to look because they're going to assume these babies are dead. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. Many times, a lot of these babies don't even go into the warm arms of a desperate couple wanting to adopt. Mm-hmm. What they did is they ran a advertisement of black market adoption. But then you had to pay a certain amount of retainer fee. And when you have desperate couples that want a baby, they're going to pay $250,000 just to get in the door. Well, what happens is once that money is wirely transferred, then the website and the advertisement is completely unattraceable. And guess what? The parents are left without a baby for a baby that they paid for. They're afraid to go to the cops because it is considered black market adoption, and they can go to prison. So a lot of times, a lot of these parents are stuck. There is a true story. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but the lead actress was Dana Delaney, and it was set out in Minnesota. She went through a website looking for an adoption, and she paid, and she didn't get her baby. But she became fierce. So she ended up going to the Federal Bureau telling them about this website. They didn't believe her. They said, well, it was your fault. She kept stalking the FBI until they did something. Mm. When they did, they found out that her baby was actually belonged to a traffic victim. Mm. And even the mother did not give permission to place that baby. And what happens is when the babies aren't being adopted, they're being recycled in a very disgusting world of child porn. Mm-hmm. And that part scared me more than anything. And that gave me the impulse to run away. Mm-hmm. Well, Chong, um, we're going to have to take a commercial break. And just your heart um, in your story are just, well, they're inspiring in, in a, a way that just challenges us to really get engaged, get involved, become more aware. And when we come back, I want to ask a question about, you know, how does ordinary women like us, how do we be a part of a solution? So we want to talk about that when we come back. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Chong Kim and her story that even that in the midst of extreme darkness, God still shines and God is still personal. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it. 
Connect it. Propel it. Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Reaching out from the heartland of the United States with quality programming, this is Tokinet Radio. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We are back with Chong Kim, producer of the film Eden, based on Chong's real life story, and it starred Bo Bo Bridges and Jamie Chung. Uh, this movie, by the way, nabbed the Audience Choice Award for Best Narrative Feature. And uh, if you can stomach it, I would highly recommend watching this movie just to educate yourself and make yourself aware of what's really taking place. And before we went into commercial break, we were ending on the topic that you were actually the gal who um, did get pregnant during this time. So that, obviously, you were highly motivated to find a way out, and you became a madam. Um, what did take place with your child? I placed, I actually um, became a madam before I was pregnant. Mm. Um, because what happened was the girl that placed the pregnant girl, she was actually seven. When I watched her get sodomized and raped in front of me, and her seven-year-old body couldn't take it anymore. Mm. When she died in front of me, I couldn't take it anymore either. And that's when, uh, that was when shortly after, I witnessed the butterfly. And after that, that's when I went to the transfer and said, make me your concubine. That's what I told him. And so when I ranked out to be a madam, he had me, he showed me, different organized um, crime and what they did. But one of the things I wanted to let everyone know, um, my child has been placed for adoption through a Christian ministry. Um, 
and they were amazing. It was in 1997, and um, it was pretty much 17 years ago today. And um, but I wanted to let everyone know that I am having my book out that will detail more details um, in things that weren't um, in details in a film. Mm. And right now, um, we're in the process of trying to actually change a new name because the original name was Broken Silent. I wrote this when I was so angry and when I was so bitter. Mm. And now, um, me and my publicist and my manager were speaking of a more gentler title. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I love the idea of Butterfly, and I want to title the new book Butterfly Taking Flight. You know, because it, it is a new journey. It is a transformation. But one of the things I want to warn people, when my book comes out, it is not going to be considered a Christian book because of the details of the abuse. And it's not only talking about my trafficking, but also my sexual abuse. My first rape happened when I was three. And so it goes into that dynamic of, childhood abuse, domestic violence, and everything else, and why kids like me get targeted constantly. But today's society, it's no, not so much about being abused anymore. If the trafficker or a predator can sense a vulnerability from a girl, even if it looks like she comes from a healthy family, mm. that's all that matters is that he can sense vulnerability. It's kind of like a moth to a flame. And it's crazy that it's that way. Mm. But if you look at all the cases of kids who've been abused, they've been abused prior to that and prior to that. And so, and that's why I, I'm writing my book because I want to stop generational abuse. I want to educate people about trafficking, but then I want to show people how I healed, what worked for me, and how my faith has continued to you know, keep me in a in an adaptable environment. Because people ask me, I you know, how did you become so normal? And I tell them, I wouldn't say normal, but I would say it's culpable. Mm. It's culpable for me. And I I live in a, a three bedroom house and I actually have a guest room and I actually have a door hanger that says, I'm talking with God. Wait your turn. Uh -huh. I think it's important that we stand aside even just 15 minutes of our day in our chaos with scheduling kids and everything. So we take that 15 minutes to take that time to be with God. And that's what I do. I mm -hmm. love that moment. I pray. I read my favorite scriptures. I just, I don't have TV in there. I don't have electronics in that room. I li it literally kind of looks like a little Buddhist house. But with scriptures. <laughs> okay, I love that. And and so, Chong, tell us, um, when did you, or I, I should say, how long after you escaped that you um, found Christ, that you started following Christ? Because I, I know you shared just the the anger and the bitterness that you've gone through, which is obviously understandable. Um, when did you discover having that relationship with Him? Well, I grew up in a church, so I always knew 
God existed, but I didn't have a real authentic relationship, if that makes sense. Yes. And it wasn't until probably in 2000 to 2002, that's when I solely gave everything to my faith. That was also the year I stopped using drugs. I've been clean and sober for 15 years of cocaine, meth, and crack cocaine. Mm. And and I don't go to AA meetings. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, people shouldn't. I'm saying what worked for me was I, instead of going to meetings, I went to church. Mm. To me, I felt like going to those AA meetings, people kept talking about the heart. People kept glorifying the first hit. I didn't need to hear that. I wanted to get over that. So if I was in a special Bible study with a group of women that talked about grace and love and faith, I loved that. Mm. And that's what I consumed a lot of my... And I actually made a list of women in the church that I could call. And, and we would all switch numbers and say, you can call me at... Between this time, you know, I'm open from, you know, I'm a night owl, so you can call me anytime. I had another lady said, if you're early in the morning, you can call me. <laughs> so it was great. But one of the things that we had a rule that I made up is that when we call each other, we're not there to enable them to talk about their problems. We're there to help them distract until they can actually see a licensed counselor because we're not equipped to listen to their, uh, listen to rehash their problems or their trauma, we're there to comfort them and support them. So we tell them, you know, you had a nightmare, let me pray for you. Let me let you know that you cannot let that get to you. And we pray and we support them. We don't sit there for hours long and let them go on and on about their problems because what happens is it resurfaces the trauma. That's in my own opinion, because I'm not a psychiatrist. So I noticed when I would talk about my problems, it always resurfaced. So I used these ladies through church to help me get through it. And then when I see my counselor on a weekly basis, then I share her all my traumas. <laughs> wow. Love that. That is what the body of Christ is really all about. Yes. Well, you, you, we only have like four minutes, Chong. And this, again... Thank you so much for um, just coming on our show. We know you have a new book coming out, and we have information on our website at girlfriendit.com and how to find you. Um, but I want to ask you, you're, you're kind of going about how the church, really the community of the church and these women, and we're just there to surround you and to support you. Many times we feel like we don't even know, you know, when, when, talking to a woman like you that has these stories that we can't even imagine, that is so, um, it, 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 it's so intimidating on one hand, and we feel like I don't have anything to offer you. I, I like what you're saying is you, you're just, you just need women around you that are just being Jesus with skin on and yeah. just loving and accepting you. So is there like, can you give us like three things you would just, you would say to women like, like Patty and myself and others that are going, we want to be a part of the solutions. We want to be there to encourage and support. What can we do? What are, what are three things that you would say to women that you can do to be a part of a solution? One, one thing is find out what you're good at 
that you love, if you love arts and crafts, one of the things that I get is people always want to work with victims, but it's not like working in a daycare. When you work with victims, they, a lot of them have been so um, damaged that they are they don't trust. They have a hard time. If you have um, if you have patience with that, and it takes a lot of patience. But one of the things I would suggest, if you decide to work with a victim, volunteer at a youth convention or a youth program that takes in juvenile detention kids, because then you will see face-to-face what these kids go through. Two is if you look for a local organization that is currently combating human trafficking, collaborate with them. Look for survivor-led organizations or survivor-led support groups of human trafficking in your area. You can actually go on meetups or you can email me directly uh, through my website at chongnkim.net. That's my website. And to ask me for a list of survivor-led organizations in your area because I guarantee you we have tons of them. Um, the third one is if you want to get more on the awareness side, talk about it at your church. Get your pastor involved. At least open a dialogue. Open up a Bible study for trafficked victims. Open up a Bible study where you have a group of women that will make shawls or blankets or quilts and then donate it to organizations that are combating that. Uh, one of the big uh, complications we're facing is schools, from elementary all the way up to high school. If you are a PTA mom, I encourage you to open that dialogue in that PTA meeting. Get them to decide with you that you need speakers to come to the school to talk to kids about when they're in elementary years, they can talk about stranger danger. But we also need to talk about boundaries. What is healthy boundaries? What and, Tom, I am so sorry I have to interrupt you, and I have to do the boundaries. No, no, We're out of time. We are so out of time. We, we must continue this conversation another time. Yes. We want to encourage, thank you again, and we'll stay in touch. Thank we'll you. have more information just for our listeners on our show, on our website at girlfriendit.com, and they can find you and keep it going. We just need to all do something and start today. Yes. Thank you so much for joining our show. Have a great day. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show 